Our reading is from Mark uh, chapter 10, verses 13 to 31, and can be found on the Church Bible on page 1014. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with this, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Thank you. Let's pray as we turn our attention to, to those words. Father, please help us. Help us now to be humble enough to listen to what Jesus has to say to each one of us. And help us to be ready to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, it's been said, hasn't it, one of Britain's favourite pastimes is queuing. We love a good queue, don't we? Where other nations might stand in a bunch, we stand in a line. Where other people might scrabble to the front, we form an orderly queue. Queues are very British, aren't they? They're very, very fair. If you get there first, you will be served first. If you get there last, you are going to have to wait. And so we hate queue jumping. That is the worst thing you could do. It's it's the height of injustice. You go to the theme park, somebody ducks under the rope in front of you. They need to bring back hanging, don't they? (laughs) Unless you're rich. If you are rich, then you get to pay extra for a fast pass. You get guaranteed front of the queue every time, skip past all the riffraff. Which is another way of saying those who are ahead in life get to stay ahead, don't they? The first will be first, and the last will be last. But that's not how Jesus sees it. When it comes to what really, really matters, he turns that on his head, on its head, I should say. This morning's passage, he's talking about Who gets into God's kingdom? Who gets to be with God? Who gets to be saved? Who gets to have eternal life? And it's not who we might think. The punchline of that whole story, that whole chunk in verse 31, but many are first who will be last, and the last first. Many, many, many who seem like they are in front are not going to make it. Many who stand at the back will be given the best place. I wonder which one of those we would see ourselves as being. Jesus has got encounters in these passages with two people, two types of people who couldn't be more different. One of those groups have absolutely nothing to offer. The other has it all, but many who are first will be last and the last first. So let's start with the first group that Jesus meets And that is the kids who get the kingdom. The kids who get the kingdom. Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, he's doing what he does, and wherever he goes, these undesirables keep showing up. These children. Yuck. Verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. Can't they say he's busy? He's got important things to do. Stop wasting his time. But still, the children keep coming. Parents want their children to meet Jesus. They want Jesus to bless them in some way. And it's the, it's the same impulse, I suppose, that makes parents like Phil and Vicky want to have their children come up the front to be prayed for. Because we love Jesus. We want our children to love Jesus as well. We want them to, to meet Jesus. And, and it seems from here, it seems from elsewhere as well, that the children did love being with Jesus. Children are good at spotting Who's going to listen to them? Who's going to take them seriously? Who's going to be kind to them? Jesus wasn't one of those people who you just cannot imagine them ever being a child. You know when you meet someone, you you just came out fully formed as an adult. He wasn't that sort of person or someone who you could never imagine them getting on the floor to play. Children loved Jesus. Jesus loved children. But the disciples... They're not so keen. To them, children are a distraction. They are a pain. And so they rebuke them. They try to send them and their parents away. Just go away. Whereas Jesus, it says, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. That is a really strong word. He is furious. 
He's absolutely furious with them. Why are you sending them away? Oh, come on. You've got better things to do than this. You've got serious grown-ups to talk to. I think there's a rich man over there who'd like a word. People like that. You don't want to hang around with people like this. And Jesus says, no, that's absolutely wrong. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. You've got more important people to speak to. How dare you? These are exactly the sort of people that I'm interested in. Since day one, Jesus has been teaching, hasn't he, about the kingdom of God, about the importance of entering it, about how you enter it. And it does look like the disciples haven't been listening to a word he's been saying. They still have this idea. The kingdom of God belongs to the VIPs, for those who can pay their way, for those for whom God would be honored to have them associated with him. But Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. It belongs to little children. And it's not even the first time he said it. He said as much in chapter 9. If you just go back a page, verse 36, he says, He took a little child and he replaced among them, taking the child in his arms. He said, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. I think actually, people like that, if you are dismissing them, that's not okay because I've come for people like that. In fact, when you welcome them in my name, you're welcoming me. They are welcome with Jesus. So when we sent the children downstairs to junior church, that wasn't to get rid of them. That wasn't saying, look, we're doing some very important things up here. Go away. No, we send them to their groups because they are welcome, so they can hear about Jesus in ways that they'll find easier to engage with and understand, because children are welcome with Jesus. But he's not just talking about literal children, is is he? He talks about such as these people like that. The kind of people other people would shoo away. There's something about children which typifies, kind of gets to the heart of the way we're all supposed to respond to Jesus. When when he says in verse 15, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. If you won't receive it like a child, you won't receive it. Now he's not saying children are perfect. They are, you know, pure little innocent, sinless angels. If, if that is what you think, um, I'll introduce you to a child later. You obviously never met one. He's not saying that everything about children should be imitated. If it's somehow virtuous to be kind of messy and noisy and lacking experience. Like, no, we're, we don't have to be childish. We do need to be childlike. We do need to receive the kingdom of God like a child. And that's the key there, isn't it? We receive it. We are given it. Children have nothing to bargain with. In a society like theirs, children have no status whatsoever. They've got nothing to offer. So, for example, Timothy Golpin. Lovely. Lovely. Hello, I'm talking about you. Lovely. This isn't a criticism, but his CV could do with a lot of work. Special skills. Well, he can stand up now. He's hit that milestone. He's working towards toddling. Are we quite there yet? Financially, I don't know. If he's anything like my children at that age, he contributes very little, money-wise. Completely reliant on mum and dad. And that's what children should be like, isn't it? That children can't earn anything. They can only receive things. The baby's not going to go, right, let's negotiate. What do I need to do to get this or to get 
the biscuit or whatever. They can just cry out this helpless dependence, this complete reliance, this sort of, unless you give it to me, I won't have anything sort of attitude. That's what we need to have. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And, and Jesus is saying, unless you're willing to come to God like that, we'll never enter the kingdom. He's calling us to turn away from ourselves, turn away from our sin, to trust in Jesus, who will do what we can't do. Now, that's very humbling, isn't it? To come to Jesus and hold out our empty hands and just receive the kingdom by simple faith alone. That isn't very sophisticated, is it? It's childlike, and that's the attitude that Jesus is calling for. Sometimes people can act as though the bar for entry into the kingdom is incredibly high. To go back to the theme park again, you must be at least this impressive to go on the ride. But actually the reverse is true. The bar is shockingly low to humble us. He's saying you need to get off your high horse and be willing to crawl in or you won't get in at all. Jesus so often has this topsy-turvy way of turning everything upside down. It is the last who will be first. It is the kids who get the kingdom. Have we understood that? Have we really grasped that? Who is it who gets the kingdom? It's not those sort of people. It's these sorts of people. Then to make the point even clearer, the opposite of a child shows up. Somebody the disciples would have been proud to welcome. Kind of, ah, look, Jesus, now this is what we were talking about. People like this man. This, this is the sort of person we're talking about. And again, they've completely got it wrong because we're not meeting someone who typifies exactly what you're supposed to do. Instead, we meet the rich who reject the kingdom. The rich who reject the kingdom. He doesn't start off rejecting anything, does he? He, he looks super keen. So if you look at verse 17, uh, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds like a great attitude, doesn't it? He's, he's, Jesus is getting up to leave. This bloke rushes in. He's got this burning question on his knees, desperate. Please, you have to tell me, how can I get eternal life? That's a wonderful question. It would be great if more people were asking that. And that's just what Jesus has been talking about, isn't it? And so you think, well, how's he going to answer? Is he going to go, oh, right, okay, yeah, sorry, I was just saying, you missed this bit. Yes, you've got to come humble, childlike faith, blah, 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 and repeat himself. He doesn't say that. He goes a different route with this man. He goes a different route to get to the same answer. So he sort of goes back to him in verse 18, why do you call me good? You said good teacher, why did you call me that? Don't you realize nobody's good? No one's good except God. Now, it could be a bit, um, a bit pedantic. Like I remember a friend of mine, if you sort of go, if somebody would say to them, how are you doing? You good? You'd be like, no, I'm terribly, dreadfully sinful. And you're like, oh, come on, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Of course, I'm not good, but blah, blah, blah. Is that what Jesus is sort of, sort of doing? But he is actually answering his question. He is answering the question in a challenging way. When the man says, what do I need to do? What's the standard I need to meet? How good do I have to be? And Jesus goes, well, what do you mean by good? What do you mean good? No one's good except God. Now, we might object to that, sort of go, really, nobody's good? I think people are quite nice. Most of the people I know are quite nice. No one is good? 
What about this person? What about that person? What about my lovely auntie? Well, she wouldn't hurt a fly. Now I come to think about it, what about me? I'm not that bad, am I? No one is good. We like to think that we're good. We like to think that we, we are good. But good is a relative term. It depends on who you compare yourself to. So if I said to you, are you good at art? Well, that would depend compared to a monkey with a paintbrush. You might be a genius. Compared to Van Gogh. You know, and if we compare ourselves morally to, to murderers, criminals, and the worst of the worst, we will think, yeah, I'm pretty good. I've never done any of that stuff. I'm quite good. But when we compare ourselves to God, we'll see the truth. We'll say, actually, no one is good. No one's fully, completely good the way that God is. And so Jesus illustrates that. He, he holds up God's standards. He holds up the Ten Commandments to this man. He sort of take a hard, good hard look at these. And then tell me how good you are. Let's have a look at these and then rate yourself out of 10. Verse 19, he says, uh, You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. That is a list that ought to make us sweat, isn't it? But not this person. He goes, yes, 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 I've done all that. I've done all of that. I've never killed anyone. I always tell the truth. I'm very respectful to my parents. All these commands I've kept since I was a boy. So, does that mean I'm good? Am I okay now? Am I good? He's a good person. That's got to be good enough, hasn't it? He can read the Ten Commandments without blushing. He's a good person. Except there weren't Ten Commandments, were there? Jesus left some off on purpose. He left off things like, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Jesus left those things out to draw attention to them. So, okay, well, you've kept those commands. I'm not even going to dispute that. I bet you haven't. But, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll let you have that one. All those commandments about how we treat each other, fine. What about the ones about God? What about the commands about have you ever put something else in God's place? Have you ever had something more important to you than God? Of course you have. Now, Jesus isn't saying this to be nasty, is he? Verse 21, it says that he's doing this because he loved him. Pointing out how far short of good we really are is a loving thing to do. And so since the guy hasn't, still hasn't got it, he's still going, yeah, I'm good then. I must be really good. He says, one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have, and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Now again, is that the answer? Is that what we need to do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Stick everything you own on eBay, and give it away to charity. Is that how we get eternal life? Well, no, it isn't as simple as that. Again, is it? He's putting his finger on this, this one thing, this one thing in that man's life, that is taking God's place. You shall have no other gods before me. And he's saying for you, okay, do without the money then. That's the thing for you. You love your money more than you love God. And we know that because of how he reacts. See, verse 22, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus is calling him to follow, and he won't do it. He walks away. He rejects the kingdom. If he just said, right, here's what you need to do. Pray 20 times a day. He would have gone, great, I already almost do that already. I can do that. Yeah, that's great. If he says, you just need to make sure you go to church every week and read your Bible. Just do that and you're, you're done. He'd go, okay, good, I'll, I'll, I'll do that then. You've got to go climb a big mountain and then, yeah, great, I can do that, brilliant, and then I can tick that off. But Jesus goes for something that he actually really loves and he's not prepared to do it. I wonder if Jesus was talking to us what that thing would be, that one thing we would not be able to give up even if eternal life was on offer, what that would be, whether it would be um, the respect of our friends, our job, our family, our comfort. Maybe it would be money. Maybe it would be for us, actually. Say, no, if, if I had to give all of that up, that would, be, that would be a step too far. Those things impinged on following Jesus. Would we still follow? Would we be okay if we had nothing but him? Now, heaven can't be bought. Heaven can't be bought like that. You can't give away every penny and you're in. And yet, at the same time, this call of Jesus is as radical as that for everybody, for all of us to repent, trust in him, is to stop focusing where we were focusing and start focusing on him, to change that direction. So we have no other gods but him, no other Lord but Jesus. That's the call to all of us. Now, Jesus loved this man. He loved this man, but he doesn't call him back and go, okay, 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 just sell half your things. Just sell, don't walk off. Don't, come on, come on, we can, we can negotiate. He's saying, no, no other gods before me. And that's the call of Jesus to all of us, to deny ourselves and follow him. And this rich man says, I can't do that. That happens so often to people with money, doesn't it? So Jesus says that in, his, in verse 23. Jesus looked around, said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples can't believe it. They can't, sorry, hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In our culture, we're inclined to think, oh, if you're rich, then you must be some kind of baddie. You know, lots of films with the greedy, fat cat, millionaire sort of person. It would have been the other way round for them. They would have seen the wealth and assumed that was God's blessing. Someone's got money, that's God's stamp of approval, surely. Look at this man. He's got a great moral track record and great wealth. And they're starting to put two and two together. Well, if he can't be saved, who on earth can? Surely you can't mean that. And so he says it even stronger. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, uh, an adult camel is over seven feet tall from the ground to its hump. You might have seen one at the zoo or maybe even uh, uh, gone where the camels actually live. They are absolutely massive. Needles are very, very tiny, and this is a big one so that you might be able to see it. They're very tiny. And Jesus is saying here, you have got more chance of squeezing one of those through one of these than of us squeezing into heaven. More chance of getting one of those through one of these than of squeezing ourselves into heaven. Now, I find it hard enough to get a piece of thread through the eye of a needle, 
I could fit a needle through the eye of a camel if I really had to. But there is no way that you could do it. This is an extreme picture. This is not a metaphor for something that's hard. This is supposed to be of something impossible. So, so when the disciples say, who then can be saved? Jesus says, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. We need to hear that, don't we? Who can be saved? Who gets eternal life? Who makes it into God's kingdom? Impossible. It can't be done. You can try, you can try, we will never make it. As long as we're thinking like that rich person. As long as we're thinking like the man who says, what do I have to do? How, if, I sort of, if I sort of go in sideways, maybe I could. No, it's impossible. Getting into the kingdom that way, that sort of doing way, can't be done. It is only possible if God does it for us. With man, this, that's salvation, is impossible, but not with God. We can't save ourselves, only God can. Now that's true, uh, that's true not just of the rich. We might not think we're rich, we are, compare us to people throughout the world and across history, we're outrageously well off. But even if we wouldn't be considering ourselves rich, this is still us, because verse 24 says how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, not just rich people, just everybody. It's just more obvious for the rich, isn't it? Because the rich, we come proudly. We think we've got so much to offer. And we've got a pretty nice life already. Why would on earth would we want to risk it? We're like a, a, a dog with a big stick in his mouth, kind of sideways. Can't get through the door. We're going to have to let it go if we want to get inside. We've got our good works, our, our favorite sins, our idols, our treasures, we need to drop it or we'll never get in. Or to change the metaphor, we can't grab on to Jesus with our hands full. And that's why it's the kids who get the kingdom and the rich who reject it. Because the rich, they've already got everything in their own mind. They value it so highly that they leave with nothing. But the little ones who come empty-handed receive the kingdom as a gift. Which of those most is a picture of us? It's obvious what we should be, isn't it? It's obvious we're supposed to come to Jesus in, in childlike faith, delighting to come to him. But which one are we? Now, if we don't know, if we're not sure, uh, there's one last point. This is much more brief, which is designed really to help us to consider it and go for it, which is that the kingdom is worth the cost. The rich man didn't think so, did he? But he was wrong. Peter sees the man walk off. He points out, actually, that's not me. That's not, I'm not like that. Us and the disciples, we're not like that. Verse 28, Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. We've done the right thing, haven't we? And maybe that's you today. Following Jesus has really, really cost me. I've done the right thing, haven't I? I'm on the right track, aren't I? And Jesus says, yes, you have done the right thing. Even if you left everything, the kingdom is worth the cost. So verse 29, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel 
will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, following Jesus can be costly, can't it? Salvation is absolutely free, but receiving it can come at a very high price. There are things we might choose to lose so we can better follow Jesus, whether that is giving some of our money away, turning certain opportunities down that don't match our new priorities, ending relationships, changing relationships that don't honor Jesus. There'll be things like that. Sometimes it'll be other people with us who reject us, whether that's family, disowning us, friends alienating us who won't stick by us. I speak to people all the time where serving Jesus has taken a massive toll on them. And Jesus says it is worth it. There's nothing you could give up that could ever match the blessings. And he will make sure of it. Anyone who sacrifices anything will not fail to be amply repaid a hundred times. I find it amazing that he says, in this present age, he's saying there's blessings even now, this side of eternity. Sometimes kind of a like for like, often is a much higher value, whether that's the family that we gain in church that makes up for the friends that we lose or the peace that we enjoy deeper than anything we knew, as well as the very practical ways God does provide for us so generously. And in the end... Once we've made it through the persecutions, because as well as all the good things comes the hard things, in the age to come, eternal life. So if you are following Jesus and you are finding it very difficult, the kingdom is worth the cost. It absolutely is. All of this is available for us to receive because of Jesus. Because he believed that the kingdom was worth it. You see, the rich man sees the cost and his face fell. He goes away sad. Whereas Jesus sees the cost of gaining God's kingdom and he's willing to pay it. He's the ultimate rich young man. He's got unthinkable riches in the glory of heaven. He's got a perfect moral track record and he's willing to give it up. He's willing to give up everything he had to give it away to us for free to come to earth, to die on the cross, so we can just have it for free. He was first. He made himself last, so that we can be first. Why don't we pray now that we would receive that like a child? Heavenly Father, we often put things in your place, and we're sorry for that. Our earthly riches seem better to us than treasure in heaven. Please would you forgive us. Please would you help us to let go of anything that stops us following Jesus. Would you help us to trust in him with childlike dependence so that you would do for us the impossible of bringing us into your kingdom. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.